You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed how our behavior sometimes changes depending on who we're around? You know, we meet certain people and suddenly we feel like we need to act differently now that they're here. I find this happens sometimes when I'm umpiring softball games. Uh, when people find out in the course of the conversation that I'm a pastor, suddenly their use of certain four-letter words ceases. And, and they're more selective in the jokes that they tell, or at least they apologize to me after they blurt out something profane. If you're around somebody famous or important, you know, it is interesting how we are much more careful about what we say or how we act. I'll never forget the first time Pastor Chuck Smith came to our church to teach at our pastor's conference. Pastor Chuck, if you don't know, he's the pastor and founder of the Calvary Chapel movement. And he came to speak, and, and my job that week was to pick him up from the airport. And so as I was preparing to leave to go to the airport, Pastor Sandy gave me one of those looks that only Pastor Sandy can give. And he says, James, be careful what you say. This is Pastor Chuck. Now, he really didn't have to remind me of that because I was already nervous as a cat. I basically wrote down and memorized the script of what I was going to say on the 40-minute drive home from the airport. It included things I was going to say and a few things I was not going to say no matter what. You know, it was a, it was a long drive home. I, I found out that Pastor Chuck is not much of a conversationalist. And so there was a lot of pauses in the conversation, very uncomfortable moments for the long drive for me. Well, it was interesting. Later that evening, we went out to dinner, uh, myself and, and Pastor Sandy and, and the other guest speakers who were there. These are many of them, the well-known, confident pastors. But it was so funny how they suddenly became very quiet and guarded in their words as they sat across the table from Pastor Chuck that evening. Now, I want you to understand something. It was not that anyone was afraid of Pastor Chuck but it was because they so respected him. He had been used by God in their lives in a very powerful way. And to be honest with you, they just didn't want to look stupid or dumb or say something they were going to regret later. Have you ever thought about how you should behave in the presence of God? Have you ever thought, Lord, what behavior is appropriate and what's not appropriate in your presence? See, this is the question that David is contemplating here in Psalm 15. Unfortunately, today, many people, even Christians, have lost the sense of God's holiness. You know, Jesus called us friends, and sometimes that familiarity, because He is our friend, He is, he is our companion, because of that familiarity, though, sometimes we lose sight of the holiness and the sense of awe that we should have in God's presence. We forget that He is the Creator. He is the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the perfect, the pure, the holy, almighty God. 
Our God is the God who spoke and the universe came into existence. Our God is the God who spoke the law of Moses down from the thunder of top of Mount Sinai. Our God is the God who one day will sit in judgment of every person who's ever walked this planet. Our God is the God of whom the 24 elders and the angels bowed down in Revelation chapter 4 saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then they cried out, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. And then finally they cried out, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Have we forgotten the glory and the holiness and the power of the God that we serve? Has our familiarity with the Lord Jesus caused us to lose sight That we stand in the presence of the true and living God. See, we need to maintain a healthy fear and a healthy respect of the God we serve. And knowing that we are in His presence should certainly have an effect on our behavior. Now I want you to please understand one important truth right at the beginning of this study this morning. And that is this, we are not allowed in God's presence because we meet some standard of behavior. We are allowed to come into God's presence based solely on our acceptance of the work of His Son Jesus on the cross at Calvary. That's how we stand before God. You and I can never be good enough to come into our holy God's presence. We are welcome there because we have an advocate. We have someone who stands alongside of us, whom God accepts. We always come into the presence of God, declaring the name of our Redeemer. We come in the name of Jesus. And He is the reason that we're allowed in. But once we come into God's presence, it should have an effect upon us. It should cause us to want to behave differently. It should cause us to think twice before we say or do certain things that maybe we did in the past. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John wrote this to the church. He said, this is the message that we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If I daily walk with God, it's going to have a powerful effect on my life. His presence is going to change me. It has to. Why? Because He is in the light. And if I join Him in the light, I cannot remain in the darkness. I cannot continue to walk in the darkness apart from Him. In Psalm chapter 15, David describes a man with the behavior who hangs out with God on a regular basis. Notice the question that David asks in verse 1. He says, Lord, who may come into your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? You see, David had recently brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. 
he had placed it in the tent that we call the tabernacle or the tabernacle of meeting. It was the place where the people came to worship God and to offer sacrifices to him. And now David is just sitting around one day and he's He's thinking about it. He's considering the attitude and the behavior and the heart of the person who comes and abides in God's presence. What what should that person's life look like? What are the issues in the life of the believer that really matter to God? Notice also that, that, that David here talks about those who may abide with God or those who may abide in this tabernacle. The word here describes the person that just wants to, to remain there and hang out with God. He's the person whose heart has a desire just to be close to the Lord. He doesn't want to run into the tabernacle, do his business and go home. No, he, he, he wants to come and he just wants to stay there in the presence of the Lord. In the New Testament, in John chapter 15, Jesus picks up on this idea of abiding in God's presence. But here he says something a little different. Here he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Jesus takes the same idea in talking about our relationship with him. He says that it's in the staying close to him that we become fruitful and powerful. It's It's when we leave him that our lives become weak and impotent. And we can do nothing apart from him. Today, we don't abide with Jesus in a tabernacle or an earthly temple Look, guys, we don't abide with Jesus by coming to church. If David were writing this psalm today, I think he would say something like this. Lord, who may abide with Jesus? Who may dwell on the holy hill of the cross? In other words, today we abide with him because he lives in our heart. Because we've taken him by faith. Today the presence of God is found in the person of Jesus. And Jesus has made his way into our hearts. And we just stay there. We just abide with him. And when we do, we find ourselves in the presence of God. So when we do come to the presence of God through Jesus Christ, what should be our concern when it comes to our behavior and our attitudes? If if we're going to hang out with the Lord... If we're going to hang out with Jesus, what kind of person does he want to transform us into? Well, let's see this person that David describes, beginning in verse 2. He says, He who walks uprightly and and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart, he does not backbite with his tongue. Now, now David begins addressing the concerns... uh, that God has of those people that, that come into his presence. And, and he speaks here of three positive changes that God wants to make in the life of everyone who will just abide with Jesus. And here's what he says. God will change a person's walk, a person's works, and a person's words. Those are the three things. First, David says if we're going to hang out with God, he will teach us to walk uprightly. When a person 
came to the temple to make a sacrifice to God, they had to bring with them a lamb who was without blemish. The priest would examine the, the lamb, the sacrifice that was going to be made, to see if it had any spots or scars. And, and the lamb had to be found blameless and, and without blemish. Now this is the same word that's used here for rightly, to walk rightly, or to walk without blemish. This is, the, this is the person who comes to God. He must come as a person who's walking without blemish. In other words, his life can't be full of sinful spots. It can't be full of scars that have been caused by him playing in the weeds of the world that week. He's got to be a blameless man. One who cannot be accused of the manner of life that he's living. That, that someone couldn't look closely and say, hey, you're not worthy. You've got this big blemish in your life. No, I don't know about you, but I quickly think about that and I think, wait, I could never come into God's presence if that's the requirement. Because there's never a time in my life when I could honestly say, Lord, I don't have any spots. I don't have any blemishes. But that's when I remember that we have an advocate. One who has met God's requirements. See, Jesus is the Lamb that we come to God with, who is without blemish. And, and as we come to God, we don't claim our own perfection. No, we look at Jesus and say, we say, Lord, it's His perfection that I come to you with. It's because of Him. But, as we spend time with Jesus, our lives should be becoming more blameless each day. As Jesus rules in my life, as we become more and more committed to Him and, and dwelling in His presence, our lives will become conformed to His image. Over time, our walk should become one that has fewer and fewer blemishes in it. As we grow in Christ, our walk becomes more upright. Not, not because we necessarily do anything. Not because we necessarily have, oh, I'm trying harder, God. No, but it's because as we learn to just live in Christ's presence, God works in our heart and He molds us from the inside out into this person that God desires us to be. I want you to remember a very important truth this morning. Every person becomes like the God they serve. If you want to know the God a person's serving... Just look at what their life is being transformed into. Look at who they're becoming. They will become like the God they bow down to. So the question for us this morning is, is what about my life? What about your life? Are you at least headed in the right direction? Over time, do you see your life being changed, being molded and shaped into the likeness of Christ? Can you look in the mirror when you go home and think back to the past five years or past year or, or, or whatever your time frame is since you've come to know the Lord and, and look at your life and honestly say, you know, I can see what God is doing. Now, maybe his work is slow, but it's true and it's happening. See, the more we hang out with the Lord, the more our lives will be transformed. I promise you. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Or as my mother used to say to me, her translation of this verse was, James, you will become like the people you run around with. 
So choose your friends wisely. Your mom ever tell you that? How is your walk? Are you walking with the right companions? If you want to be like Jesus, guys, you got to walk with him. And you got to walk with his friends. That's why we come to church. That's why we gather together weekly or, or hopefully more often than that. You know why? Because we gain strength and we get molded into God's image when we hang around with the right people. And it starts with our Lord, but then it goes to the companions of our church. Next, if we're going to abide with the Lord, He will mold our lives into works of righteousness. As our walk becomes more upright, the walk will then produce good fruit. Good works that are evidence of God's work inside of us. See, living faith will always produce living fruit. If Christ is living inside of us, we will be spawning good works from our lives that will reflect His righteousness. Not our own righteousness, but His righteousness. Remember, guys, we don't do works to be righteous. We do good works because we are righteous. Jesus has made us righteous through His work on the cross. Do you know that? Do you know that the Lord has made you right before God? And therefore, your life can produce good things. I like the words of the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon. Here he writes, Our faith shows itself by good works, and therefore it is no dead faith. God's house is a hive for workers, not a nest for drones. Now, for all of you young people who don't know what a drone is, a drone here he's talking about is not one you know, those small flying objects that has a camera on the bottom of it. That's not what a drone is. A drone was a bee in a hive that did no work at all. Their whole existence in the hive was to fertilize the queen. I guess you might say they had the fun job in the hive, okay? I think there are a lot of people in the church today who just want the fun jobs. They think serving God should always be exciting and pleasurable and fun. But that is simply not true. Over time, this word drone became an expression to describe a person who did no useful work in the community. And in fact, it later came to describe a lazy person who lives off the work of others. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be a drone Okay, we need to make sure that we're not church drones, Christians who just hang out in the building, reaping the benefits of the work of others. See, hey, listen, church is a great place to meet nice people, and most of them will really help you in time of need, but their kindness and their love can easily be taken advantage of. And if we're not careful, we can just become that person that just sort of hangs out and just drones off of everybody else. We need to make sure that we're contributing to the work and not just living off the good works of others. If we're going to hang out close to Jesus, we're going to become worker bees. He's going to make sure. And he will keep us producing that sweet honey of work for the Lord. Guys, is he working in your life to produce good? 
The third thing he says is that if we stay close to Jesus, he's going to produce in us the ability to speak truth in our hearts and not backbite with our tongues. Now, speaking the truth that is in our heart means that we don't say one thing out loud and yet think and believe another thing in our heart. The, the dichotomy there. Outwardly, we don't speak kindness, but in our hearts, we really feel hatred towards the person. You know, outwardly, we don't flatter and speak these juicy, kind words with our lips and yet allow bitterness and, to fester in our hearts towards that person. Jesus showed us the art of speaking the truth of what he felt. Did you notice that in the Gospels? It always amazes me when I read how he could say the most difficult, blunt things to people. And yet the person receiving it never felt attacked. Never felt like he was putting them down or being condescending towards them. Well, except for one group, and that was the, the hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees. But see, Jesus was very intentional with his words there. He was trying to make a point. But whenever Jesus spoke to someone he loved, the woman at the well, the, the, the woman caught in adultery, the young man who came to him seeking the way to, to everlasting life, he, he spoke difficult things to them. And yet he always did it with love. Later Paul would write, and I think he had Jesus in mind when he wrote these words to us, that we should speak the truth in love because he saw that in Jesus but there's a second warning here about our words, and that is we are capable of using our tongue as a weapon to bite others. And wow, can we bite? David Livingston was a, a great missionary and explorer to the continent of Africa back in the 1800s. He married the love of his life, a young woman named Mary. Unfortunately, Mary was a woman with a weak physical constitution. She was very susceptible to illness, especially the illnesses of a foreign country like Africa. Therefore, her and David decided that she would stay at home back in England and raise the children while David would travel the rivers of Africa. Sadly, though, the women in the town where Mary was living were very vicious gossips, and they had biting tongues. And they quickly spread rumor after rumor about her. The ugly accusation stated that her husband had gone to Africa to get away from Mary. That, that he couldn't stand living with her. And so in order to get away, he went as far as he could go. That there must be something about poor Mary that caused her husband to want to leave. Guys, these gossips hurt her deeply. Finally, she couldn't take it any longer. And together they made the decision that she would join her husband on the continent of Africa. Well, after arriving, she only survived a short time before contracting malaria and quickly died a few weeks later. Livingston was heartbroken. He loved Mary with all his heart. And he would later say that he strongly believed that the backbiting tongue of these women had caused the death of his young bride. Now, please understand something. Our words do not have the power to create. Only God's words create. So don't fall into that heretical theology that claims that somehow our words can, can 
cause our future to be certain things or to create certain things in our lives or change our circumstances. Our words don't have that power, but they do have power. Our words can positively or negatively affect people in incredible ways. Our ugly gossip can cause a person to make a bad decision in their life that can greatly affect them. As parents, we can say words to our children that can cause the whole course of their lives to go, to go astray. Our unkind words can push a person from church and from the work that God desires to do in their life. And oh, have I seen that happen many times. Where someone says something ugly to somebody at church and so then they, they walk away. And they walk away from the very thing that God wanted to do in their life. But also... Our kind words can bless and encourage a struggling believer. They can strengthen a weaker brother or a weaker sister and cause them to hold on to the truth that they're tempted to fall away from. Which direction are your words pushing the people around you? Are you you an encouraging influence in their life? Are, Are you helping them to draw close to the Lord? Or are you poisoning the people that God wants you to love? If we abide in God's presence, He will make us people who are truthful, yet kind in our words. Now, next David's going to look at a few behaviors that God hates among His people. Look at verse 3. He says, Nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friends. Another issue that is never welcome in God's presence is when a person seeks to harm his neighbor or his friends. In other words, our relationship with God is often best expressed by how we treat others. This phrase, to take up or to receive a a reproach against a friend, it's to look to disgrace a friend or, or to discredit them in some way. It's often used to try to, to make a friend look bad in order that we might look better. How often do we push other people down thinking it's going to exalt us? We attempt to promote ourselves by demoting those around us. Have you ever done that at work? Have you ever gone to your boss and kind of down-talked one of your co-workers in the hopes that you would get their promotion or that you would look better in the boss's eyes? Because we need to be careful to do that. Listen, for us believers, guys, Promotion comes from one place and one place only. It comes from the Lord. He's got a plan for your life. If He wants to elevate you, He'll elevate you. If He wants to demote you, He'll demote you. In Psalm 75, verse 6, there the psalmist writes, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. If you don't mind if I say it bluntly, it's this. God is hates self-promotion. He hates it when we prop ourselves up and put ourselves in the spotlight. But you know what? He loves it when we shine the light on our brothers and sisters. God's heart is that we would esteem others as more important than ourselves. His heart is that we would elevate our friends, that we would help them rise rather than worrying about our importance that we would worry about their importance. When was the last time you bragged on somebody else at work? 
or somebody else here in the fellowship that just went around just tooting their horn of the good work that God's doing in their life. That you took the spotlight of your life and you began to shine that spotlight on them and give them the attention that they deserve. And let them enjoy the warmth of that light for a while. You know what? Guys, God loves it when we do that. He loves it when we let someone else take the props that maybe could come to us, but we deflect them and give them to somebody else. Next, David says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. Here the psalmist is saying we need to respect and honor the right people. That we give honor to those who truly deserve it. Those who fear the Lord. In our culture today, I believe just the opposite is true. The vile or the evil person is so often honored in our culture on the pages of the news, on the web pages, on the TV stations. While the godly person is looked down on and even despised. Look at how the Hollywood stars and the athletes are respected and almost worshipped in our country. And why? Because they're really good at catching a ball. Or because they're good at playing a role of somebody they aren't. You know, we watch the show and we fall in love with the character on the TV show because of the wonderful character they play. And we forget... That's just somebody acting. Why do we care what that person thinks about abortion? Or why do we care what they think about criminal justice? Or about the situation in Iraq as if they had some kind of special knowledge or insight into the complex issues because they can act or because they can sing or because they can throw a football. Since when does that qualify a person to have knowledge or insight? People who fear God are the people we need to be listening to. But you know what's worse? Is that so often those are the people that we ignore. The people that are standing up for truth. Because they don't have the money. They don't have the fame. They don't have the platform. And because they don't, we think, well, they must not be important. Oh, that we would listen to the right people. Oh, that we would elevate the person who stands alone in God's word against the tide of worldly opinion. That's the person we need to be listening to. The person who fears God. Next, David declares of this person, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now here, David describes a person who holds on to the truth, even when holding on to the truth is going to harm him. You know, it's easy to tell the truth when the truth is beneficial to you. But wow, is it easy to lie when lying becomes more profitable than the truth. Jim Voss was a World War II veteran who came back from the war and quickly got involved in organized crime. He he was an incredibly intelligent man who quickly realized that he could use all of those smarts to make money the easy way, the dishonest way. And he quickly became well-known, he quickly became a well-known mobster to the FBI. He rapidly moved up in the crime family to which he belonged. All of this causing his wife and his family great pain and heartache. 
But then in 1949, for some unknown reason, Jim accompanied his wife to the Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. And that night, the Lord touched Jim's heart and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Now, miraculously, the crime syndicate to which he belonged let him out. They let him go. I think it was simply because they didn't know what to do with this crazy man whose life had been radically changed. Jim began to travel around the country and share his amazing testimony of what God had done in his life. Well, about a year after his conversion, Jim made a commitment to share at a small church in Southern California. The date of the commitment was January the 17th, 1950. Shortly after making that commitment, he received another invitation to speak that same night at a really large church in Boston. And this would have been a great opportunity for him. It would have been thousands of people there. Well, after praying about it, Jim decided he'd given his word to these people in Southern California, and he was going to keep his commitment to that small church. Well, the night that he spoke at the church in California, the infamous Brinks robbery took place in Boston. You can Google it later. It was a huge robbery that took place. Well, a few weeks later, the FBI arrested Jim, and they brought him in claiming that he was the only one who could pull off such a complex and large job. Well, while questioning Jim, he asked the FBI agent, what was the exact date of the robbery? Because he he had totally forgotten about it. Well, the agent told him it was January the 17th, 1950, and Jim immediately remembered the date. Because that was the date that he had turned down an opportunity to be in Boston and keep his commitment in California. Keeping his commitment, even though it may have hurt him in the short term, in terms of his popularity, in terms of maybe even financially, it saved him from accusation and possible imprisonment for a crime that he had no part of. Guys, are you a person of your word? Do you keep your commitments when it's financially advantageous for you to do something else? See, this is the person that God loves to hang around. This is the person who shares the heart of Jesus. This is the person God will honor and protect when they do so. Be a person of your word. Don't do the easy thing. Well, lastly... David observes of this person, he says, he who does not put out his money at usury, or he doesn't charge interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Now, there are two main ways in Eastern culture, and I might say in Western culture, to take advantage of another person. The first was to charge high interest to those who borrowed money. It seems our credit card companies have figured this one out. Well, Charging interest was not strictly prohibited in the law of Moses. What was discouraged was the charging of exorbitant interest, especially when a person was in a bind or a crisis and they had to borrow money. Here was the issue to God. God hates it when we profit from the pain of another person. In other words, when we gain financially at the expense of a person who's going through a desperate time in their life. This happened In Nehemiah chapter 5, 
This was the case for the, 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 those who had been in exile who were coming back to, to Israel from Babylon after the 70 years of captivity. They were mostly poor, and they were having to come back and rebuild homes and farms and businesses. So most of these settlers found themselves in desperate situations, often needing to borrow money in order to survive. Well, the Israeli bankers quickly figured out they could charge exorbitant interest rates. And then when the people couldn't pay back the loans, they could steal the property and the businesses and they could get rich. Well, Nehemiah heard what was going on and he was furious. And so he came to the people and in verse 7 of Nehemiah 5, he says this, each of you is exacting usury or interest from his brother. So I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, According to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold in, to the nations. In other words, Nehemiah is saying, hey, it, it costs us a lot to get these people here. Now, indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? In other words, are you going to now put them back in bondage? Then they were silent and found nothing to say. Then I said, what you are doing is not good. Should you not... Walk in the fear of the Lord our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I also, with my brethren and my servants, am lending them money and grain. Please stop this usury. See, the people had just escaped 70 years of bondage, and now very quickly, the leaders who were supposed to care about them were taking advantage of them and putting them right back into bondage. And God hates that. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31 says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. Listen, we are never less like God than when we take advantage of someone around us in need. God hates it when we oppress the poor and make their life harder than it should be. Now, a second popular way to take advantage of somebody in Eastern culture was the use of a bribe. A, a bribe is a simple tool by which we circumvent justice. We, we, by the giving and taking of a bride, we're, we're saying that you can come to the front of the line because you have more money or more influence or more resources than somebody else. It, it's saying that you're going to be treated differently because you're wealthier than someone else. And, and, and let me say to you, taking a bride was strictly forbidden in the law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 16, there the law says, You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow, you shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land what the Lord your God is giving to you. See, taking a bribe or using a bribe is a way of perverting justice. Here's the heart of it. It's showing partiality to one person over another just because they have something or because they can benefit you. In other words, it blinds your eyes to doing the right thing in order to get something that's profitable to you. Listen, if we spend our time with the Lord we're going to quickly find that God is not interested in what is necessarily profitable 
are full of prosperity for us. No, guys, the heart of Jesus is not financial gain or profit at any cost. Jesus is all about justice, and he's all about equality, and he's all about treating everybody the same. He's not about treating one person better than another just because you'll benefit from it. Bribes and usury or interest, they they were ways of circumventing what was right to do what was profitable. And this is not what Jesus is about. Well, David concludes his thoughts by saying this, He who does these things shall never be moved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul said something very similar. He said, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. How does a Christian become immovable? He does so by staying close to the presence of God, by hanging out in the right company, and by learning to abide there, staying there in that presence. See, stability in this life, it's found on the rock of Jesus. Doing the right things places you on steady ground. And and, and I'm going to tell you guys, it takes more than an hour on Sunday morning to really stabilize our life, to make us so that we won't be moved. See, some of you feel like your life is so unstable. Some of you, you feel close to the Lord one day and then you feel distant the next. You feel like your life is just moving to and fro. Maybe the reason is, is because you're not spending enough time in the presence of God. Enough time with His Word. Enough time in prayer. Listen, we don't meet God in a tabernacle. To be quite honest with you, we don't even meet Him here at church. We meet Him in our heart. Through Jesus Christ, God is there in your heart. The problem is, we don't acknowledge His presence. We don't think about, okay, Lord, you're here with me right now. Even on your busiest days and your busiest moments, guys, stop and recognize, okay, Lord, you're here. In all of this chaos that's going on in my life, Lord, you're here. And I'm just going to rest in your presence. Yes, some of us need to spend more time alone with the Lord. I do. I'll acknowledge that. But more often, I just need to recognize that the Lord is here all day long. And I've just got to learn to recognize His presence and let His presence change who I am. And trust me, He will. He'll transform your life. He'll conform you into His image. He'll mold you into the person He desires you to be. Remember, we will become like the God we serve. We will become like the people we hang out with. So, hey, let's spend more time with the Lord. He's there. But I've got to recognize His presence. I've got to acknowledge His presence in my life. And then, hey, let's spend more time with each other. Let's spend more time around the right people who will influence us in the right way and in the right direction. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. 
If you enjoy the message, you can access more Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.